Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Good evening and welcome to Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the national emergency of gun violence in America. I'm Sarah Germaine Lilly, and tonight's show addresses deep racism, gun violence, and the threats of extremism to our society. The show, our In Memoriam Ahmed Arbery. Kathy Marino Thomas interviews Eric Adams, Brooklyn Borough President. Jay Walker joins me in a conversation about white supremacist groups and so-called Second Amendment gun rights groups. Tonight, we are privileged to offer you the coolest personal protection equipment ever, beautifully handcrafted by Alyssa Stein, and a special bonus, your choice of a signed copy. Shavisa Woods, things to do when you're goth in the country. Shavisa Woods, 100 times. Or Joseph Keckler's Dragon at the Edge of a Flat World. These gifts are available when you become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag and a special Sing Out Louise song. But first, the In Memoriam. Amazing <laughs> grace How sweet the sound that says On February 23, 2020, Ahmad Marquez Arbery, an unarmed 25-year-old African-American man, was fatally shot near Brunswick in Glynn County, Georgia, while jogging on Holmes Road, just before entering its intersection with Satilla Drive in the Satilla Shores neighborhood. Ahmad Arbery knew racism existed in the southern Georgia community he called home. He and his best friend, Akeem Baker, had conversations about it, but never discussed feeling as if their lives were at risk. We weren't just out here in Brunswick living in fear, Baker said. We just understood that everything wasn't all love everywhere we went. Arbery's mother, Wanda Cooper Jones, remembers talking with him about the Trayvon Martin case in 2012. She said they agreed Martin was wrongly profiled and killed. Wanda Cooper-Jones said she raised her son to avoid people who racially profiled him. His mother said Arbery wanted to become an electrician, following the footsteps of three of his uncles. He attended South Georgia Technical College for about a year and a half, but stopped when money got tight for the family, his mom said. She said she was also putting her other son and daughter through school at the time. Before his death, Arbery was planning to go back to school and get his electrician certification. Arbery, a 25-year-old black man, was shot three times as he jogged through Satilla Shores, a neighborhood two miles from his home in Brunswick. Two white men 
were arrested and charged with the murder of Arbery last week following a public outcry over a viral video of the shooting. Ahmed Arbery, we remember you. You're listening to Radio Gag on WBAI 99.5 FM. I'm Sarah Germain Lilly. Next, Kathy Marino Thomas interviews Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. This is Kathy Marino Thomas from Gays Against Guns. I'm here today with Brooklyn Borough President Eric Adams. Hi, Eric. How are you today? Quite well, quite well, and it's good seeing you, and you know, your listeners can't see it, but you have a beautiful dog sitting on your lap, and I just love dogs. <laughs> thank you, thank you. We'll bring her with us next time so you can meet her in person. Love it. <laughs> so how's the family? How's everybody doing? Good, good. Uh, I believe that that question has taken on a new uh, sincere tone to it now because all of us are wondering how our family members are doing because of the large numbers of death. We all know someone that has been impacted by COVID, but my family's doing well, and I appreciate you asking. Thank you. I'm so glad to hear that. I live with my great aunt. She's 94, so we're being especially careful in this house. How's Brooklyn doing overall? Uh, doing well, you know, um, overall. Uh, I think there's that question is answered pre-COVID and post-COVID, uh, you know, COVID-19. Um, yeah. Pre-COVID-19, we were really thriving, um, as in any borough in a big city like New York. Uh, you're going to go through some of the institutional problems, but we were finding our voice and uh, the advocacy on the ground, as well as uh, the commitment and dedication of many people who are here in the borough, uh, really you know, helped push this forward. And this is an extremely diverse borough. I always give the number that 47% of Brooklynites speak a language other than English at home. And when you think about it, uh, to live in a borough as diverse culturally, economically, and uh, ethnicity, uh, it says a lot that we, for, for the most part, live in a very harmonious uh, style. Yes, it does. It certainly does. So what happens in Brooklyn when extremists make radical threats online? Does it trigger the, the red flag laws? Like, what can people do if they get threatened online? Uh, so, so, so important. And people should understand, a harassment using technology is a crime. Uh, it is actually a higher crime than someone harass you face-to-face. Uh, -face. When you use technology, a telephone call, uh, the computers, uh, any technology to harass someone is a higher level of an aggravating factor of harassment. And so people should report to the police um, if they are harassed in any way, if they made, uh, threats are made against them, uh, they should report that to the police because it's important to do so, uh, particularly when you're dealing with some of the very violent extremists that are in our country now. So I have two questions for you today about the armed protests and other types of protests going on in our country right now. The first is, what's your take on these armed protests against legislative buildings and state houses to relieve the COVID-19 lockdowns? 
very dangerous. And I am really concerned about uh, the direction of our country, in particular uh, with the current occupant of the White House. <laughs> uh, the tone that he is putting out in the universe, uh, we've always had racists in our country, but they were uncomfortable to show themselves because the overwhelming number of Americans uh, wanted to live in a very civil, uh, congenial society. And the racists had to really keep themselves hidden and to their small little chat rooms. Our current president, uh, he has created an atmosphere where racists are proud uh, to wear their magna hats. They're proud to wear uh, guns and show guns and go to our state houses. They're proud to drive into crowds of cars or come to New York with a knife to see how it feels to kill a black person. And it's very alarming. And if we're not forever vigilant on identifying those groups within our groups, they can actually infiltrate our righteous um, fights and take over those fights and turn us against each other and turn our righteous uh, in, 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 uh, indicators of fighting for something. And we may be indignant about something uh, our indignation can be actually hijacked. And that is my concern. You have groups that will come and infiltrate uh, like a march we saw across the country where they will carry a gun and shoot at police, hoping the police would in return shoot at the crowd just, just protesting. So we have to be very conscious of some of the hidden agitators that are among us. Thank you so much. And to that end, as a uh, former police officer, state representative, and now borough president, what's your take on the, the, the blatant killing of black people by police officers? Really painful. It's extremely painful for me to watch and to see because when you look at some of these cases, the Eric Gardner's, I was around during the Abner Lewima, the different shootings that took place. And now you look at the Floyd case, of just having uh, your knee on someone's neck, a total disregard. It was extremely painful. And then it just brought back the reminders I had as a child. The most vivid reminder was a young man. Uh, his name was Clifford Glover. I believe he was 10 at the time. He was shot and killed on South Jamaica, Queens. And it impacted my entire youth, uh, my child's life, my childhood. I was not allowed to cross uh, New York Boulevard, it was called at the time, and see my friends on that side of Queens, South Jamaica, Queens, because my mother was forever afraid and we were scarred as a community. And to see Officer Shea, I believe his name was, yes. was found not guilty and he was received the hero's welcome. And so when you see these cases, you relieve the pain, you relieve the anxiety, you know, you relieve, relive uh, the PTSD that's attached to it. And so when you see these cases and these incidents, I understand that they're gonna have a long standing impact on our young people. And that's the righteous anger that you're seeing. There's an open wound and it's not going to heal by merely putting a bandaid on it. We're going to have to expose it to the air so it can naturally heal. And, and one of our most prominent Americans stated that a riot is the language of the voiceless, and that was Dr. King, and he was so right then, and he's so right now. We just to make sure 
that we don't allow our desire to voice our anger to be uh, hijacked by those who have uh, alternative motives. Thank you, Eric. He inspires my activism every day. I read his speeches. I live by his word. Um, he was a very wise man. And I think that it crosses over uh, equality in, in all ways, uh, color yes. and orientation. And you and I have been allies in both fights for a very long time. We appreciate yes. your time today. Thank you so Thank much. You. I wish I could hug that dog. Uh <laughs> Next up, our special feature, activist Jay Walker, tells us about white supremacy and gun rights groups. So, Jay, our conversation today is about white supremacy and gun rights groups and essentially armed extremism. Let's start talking about the legitimacy of these Second Amendment groups because, Jay, when I go on their websites, they all are about, oh, you know, we're all about freedom, this and that. You know, we want to protect constitutional rights. These Second Amendment groups, they are backed by moneyed interests. Uh, I'm pretty certain that you could trace a lot of that money back to the firearms industry. and. You know, this notion of them being able to claim that they're a Second Amendment group is, you know, kind of farcical, right? The Second Amendment was interpreted one way for the first 200 plus years of this country's existence. And it was one Supreme Court decision in the 80s that suddenly reinterpreted the Second Amendment and decided that the Second Amendment was a right for every single individual in the country to, um, to own and bear arms. But the roots of this Second Amendment groups and these militia groups, which, by the way, we always have to remember when we talk about the concept of militia, that the militias that were, that were brought up in the text of the Second Amendment were essentially slave catchers. They were essentially militias that were formed to keep black people and to keep Native American indigenous people in their place. So with that in mind, when we see these modern day militias that are uh, you know, protesting on these state capitals, it's important to remember that yes, like the Door Brothers, these militias that are talking about they're wanting the freedom to freedom to assemble or the freedom to do their jobs or to go back to work or you know whatever. We we have to we have to remember that these Door Brothers are Second Amendment kind of gadflies. They've set up scores of websites and social media pages over the years to ramp up this, this I'm just going to say what I call them, this gun nutter ideology. And he, they saw the opportunity with the lockdown to repurpose their mailing lists and to create a, a highly armed citizen's response to states with democratic governors, mostly, in response to the lockdown, and, you know, sort of tried to, you know, to mask what the true 
intent and the true origin of those quote-unquote protesters were. People are calling them protesters. I call them terrorists. The fact that the various entities of capital policing and the various entities that control what is and what is not allowed within um, environment of a state capital, they completely capitulated to these terrorists. Being a black man and, and seeing George Floyd have his carotid artery stepped on for, for eight, nine and a half minutes or however long that we saw on that video, but we don't know how much longer before that video that knee was on his neck over passing a counterfeit bill, which he probably didn't know was counterfeit. When we, when we see police reactions to, to nonviolent offenses, because non-threatening offenses, either committed or suspected to have been committed, by black people, by people of color generally, compared to the, the complete rollover and play dead that we see when we look at their responses to armed white people. It's, it's just apparent how fundamentally our entire legal system is built around protecting the prerequisites of white people and threatening the freedom and the basic humanity and the lives of Black people most specifically, but really all people of color. I wanted to spend a little bit more time talking about these militias um, because I had not heard of this at all, these three percenter groups. The three percent creates a revolution that creates freedom for everyone else, fights the revolution, and then they take that ideology to mean that right now they're armed and ready to go out and create this revolution. But, but yeah, they're armed and ready. Truly terrifying. Okay, here's a quote. The Oath Keepers encourage members of the military and law enforcement to pledge not to follow certain hypothetical orders from the federal government. Well, you know, this this whole thing is really in the last 50 years. There were there are obviously like conservative, you know, movements and the John Birch Society and all of these kind of radical activists and racist, you know, organizations that have been around forever. You know, it seems to me that, you know, a lot of these three percenters, the Oath Keepers, you know, and, and whatever groups that they um, derived from sort of doomsday prepper movement. Uh, conservative Christian homeschooling movement. The, uh, you know, all of these things are the backlash to those civil rights gains that occurred in the 60s. When they talk about, you know, how the government is infringing on their rights and taking away their rights, they're really talking about it, the government is infringing on their right to discriminate, infringing on their white privilege. You know, the, the pro 2A folks, you know, you know, these organizations like the Door Brothers, you know, there's a reason that they are almost exclusively white. And, you know, one of the main threads that flows through all of this, the prepper movement, the two-way movement, the firearms hoarding, you know, the, the use of the term militia to describe themselves is in this this mythos that has developed over the last 50 years about the quote-unquote coming race war, which is this trope. I've been hearing about this coming race war for 30 years. It is this deeply held belief that 
there is going to be some kind of huge conflagration across the country, and it's going to be blacks against whites. And obviously, this is kind of the fever dream of someone who sees all of the advances toward equality that our that our country has made to see how they see those advances as actually being examples of how their rights are being taken away. Absolutely a topsy-turvy, crazy way of, of looking at the world when you, when you distance yourself from it. Thank you so much, Jay. Thank you, Sarah. It's always great to talk to you. (laughs) Thank you, Um, Gays Against Guns, for giving us this voice. Gays Against Guns! Gays Against Guns! And we want you to make tonight the night you become a WBAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Tonight, we have the coolest premiums available. I was able to get Alyssa Stein, the creator of the Wash Your Hands Project, to donate these wonderful COVID-19 related items. It's a great premium offer. Can you give us a description? Um, Why don't you start with those beautiful masks and tell us a little bit more about the t-shirts and the buttons that are available. Sure thing. The masks are all uh, donated or fabrics that I found, 100% cotton, washable, reversible. Uh, they're made so that you can wear either side out so you can make a fashion statement in the middle of a pandemic because it's always nice to have something to, to match. They're comfortable, they're pleated, and people said that they're really easy to wear and easy to breathe through, which is nice, especially as these days are getting hotter. So those are the masks. The T-shirts are the original wash your hands. Uh, there's one that says wear your effing mask, which is such an important message right now. Another that says this is all Trump's fault, which I think a lot of people are feeling, and it's good to kind of express your rage in these dark days. And then the fourth is vote. I think that it's so, not just important, but imperative that we all remember right now, no matter how crazy things are getting, that we have the right to vote, that it is our duty to vote, that we need to go out and vote in November to make constructive change happen. And so part of the Wash Your Hands project is social messaging, but also making sure that at the end of the day, no matter how crazy it is, it's our job to vote and make sure that everybody who has the right to vote has the way to vote. And then the buttons reflect this messaging as well. There are Wash Your Hands buttons. There are social distancing buttons. There are vote buttons. And then my latest, which is voting, is my superpower. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Alyssa, and thank you for your time and for joining us today to describe these great premiums and make it just a little bit fun for us in this really, really difficult time. So we want everyone to keep WBAI strong through your donation of any amount. And if you can become a Radio Gag BAI buddy in the amount of $25 or more, you can choose one of these terrific premium offers, the custom beautiful masks, a button set, or a t-shirt. So go to WBAI.org or go to give to WBAI.org or call 516-620-3602. That's 
1-800-273-3602 and become a Radio Gag BAI buddy. Tonight, we are privileged to offer you a special bonus of a signed copy, Shavisa Woods, Things to Do When You're Goth in the Country, or Shavisa Woods, 100 Times, or Joseph Keckler's Dragon at the Edge of a Flat World when you become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. Join us. Thanks for listening, and we air every Tuesday at 6.30 p.m. You can also listen to previous Radio Gag shows anytime online at WBAI.org and GazeAgainstGuns.net. And now on your favorite streaming apps like Spotify, Stitcher, and iTunes. And now we'll leave you with a song from our sister singing quartet, Sing Out Louise. Bye. <laughs>